0: Her brown was feeling pretty badly and uh, the chicken and the pig got together to see what they could do about it and the chicken said to the pig how about we make them a ham and egg breakfast and the pig said well for you that that requires some involvement from from me it requires a real commitment You can explain it to the person who didn't laugh <laughs> later. Commitment is one of those things that uh, some people have trouble with. Commitments uh, set our course for a particular direction, and that means that there are 359 other degrees we're not going to travel. And sometimes we feel like we may be missing out. That idea of, of missing out sometimes applies when we think of the commitment that we make in our faith. How does it feel to you when you think of, of if, if you were to really go all in with God and to obey Him and to, to seek His very best for your life? How does that strike you? Does that strike a little bit of fear in you? Does it, does it feel like an opportunity or does it feel like an obligation? Opportunity or obligation. We use words like uh, like good or holy. How does that feel to you? Does that feel like an opportunity or an obligation? Somebody said that holiness is goodness on fire. A lot of times we think of goodness or, or uh, holiness as something... That has more to do with duty than passion. Over the next several weeks, however, we're going to be looking at how there are certain commitments that can help us to thrive. Commitments that that are not a call to obligation and duty, but a call to Thrive, to develop greater capacity for love and joy and wisdom and service. What commitments, and this is over the next several weeks, all the way through to the World Mission Conference, what are those key commitments that, that help us as a church thrive, us as individuals thrive? What are those key commitments that because we're committed together in that common direction, in that pattern of life, help Thomasville thrive? What are those core commitments of our church that help us this morning in particular seek and find the abundant life? From the Word of God, John chapter 10, starting with verse 7. So Jesus... Abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. But I lay it down of my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down and to take it up again. Let's pray together. Holy God, help us to hear your voice this morning. Not my voice, but the voice of our good shepherd. We prayed in Jesus' name. Amen. Jan Paderewski was a great virtuoso, a pianist. And he said, if I, if I go a week without practice, I will notice. If I go two weeks, my critics will notice. If I go a month, everyone notices. There are certain practices and habits and patterns of life. There are certain commitments. A guy named Nietzsche said a certain turn of the phrase. You've heard me say again, we're going to explore it this morning. It's called a long obedience in the same direction. That's, That's a picture of commitment. A long obedience in the same direction. How do commitment... Why do we commit? Commitment brings a certain virtue. Now, again, a lot of times we think of virtue in terms of behavior, right? Behavior. Think of somebody as, as virtuous. They just, they're just doing the right thing, little, little Miss Goody two-shoes, right? Isn't that how we think of it? Now, why do I say it that way with just a little bit of sarcasm? Not, not sarcasm, but just a little bit of irony in my voice, because that's how we think. And the way we think shapes the way we act it shapes our pattern of life, and it shapes the commitments themselves. And so sometimes we have to confront the fact that we think of virtue as something far less than it really is. We think of virtue as something less than it is, something wispy and thin rather than st- in terms of strength. Virtue is not so much about behaving as it is about strength and ability. We make commitments in order to become greater and more able to live the abundant life. That's why we make commitments. To develop key core virtues that help us become more fully alive and more fully the individuals that we're called to be and the church we're called to be. So let's look at two. Let's look at two Abilities that form within us when we make commitments. The first is this. When we make a long obedience in the same direction, a commitment to a long obedience in the same direction, we develop the ability to embrace the passion of goodness and not just the the duty of goodness, to really embrace what is good and right and true with a a sense of, of purposeful passion and energy that our, life, our, our whole life energy goes into it with pleasure and not just capitulating to check the box. We make commitments, a commitment to God, a commitment to obey Him in order to become more able to love what is good and right and true. Now, The thin and wispy version of virtue is is people who are posers, right? I love that word. We used to use that when I was a a teenager. He's just a poser. He's got all the right equipment, right? But he can't use that equipment, whatever it is. He's just a poser, right? Somebody who's got a a beautiful storefront but nothing on the shelves, right? Just a poser. I, I remember dealing with a poser one time. That really fried my bacon. Talk about frying my bacon. Just gonna keep making reference to that early joke since it wasn't didn't have quite the punch I thought it would have. That fried my bacon too. But there was a there was a poser I had to deal with one time, and it was it was a long time ago during during Hurricane Katrina. And I understand that this church, uh, when when I was not here before I was here, was a big part of of the cleanup and. Hurricane Katrina and so, so was I when I was at Signal Mountain and, and what's, what's probably kind of funny is that some of you were probably there when I was there with, with Signal Mountain Pres probably at the same time and, and our church made a big time commitment to First Presbyterian Church Ocean Springs we showed up just a few days after the hurricane hit and it looked like a bomb went off there everywhere Houses were cracked in half, sidewalks were upended. The, uh, the, the highway that went across to Bay St. Louis was, was like dominoes. I'd never seen anything like that. Storm surge wrecked that coastline. And I had this thought of despair. I just had this dread and despair. I thought, there is no way this can ever be restored. There were those little shopping bags in every tree, you know? I mean, seeing that would make you actually maybe, maybe use those inconvenient, uh, you, know, uh, uh, you know, Publix bags that you're supposed to take and bring back. I mean, it, it was so bad that it might even motivate that. <laughs> and I was just sitting there, and, and, and I'd, I'd come across the, the pastor of First President Ocean Springs, who we, we were one of the first groups in there, and I asked him a couple of questions, and it, it occurred to me, that he could not answer any of my questions. And my questions were a burden to him. He was still in shock. And so over the next couple of years, we made 12 trips there. So did you all, some of you all. And after a couple of years, I went there, I went back, and it was amazing to see what had happened. The local church self sorted and organized and rose up. Nobody, nobody organized us from the outside. We didn't have some central pullet bureau telling us how many rolls of toilet paper and bottles of Clorox to take down there. It was just a beautiful thing to see people doing that. And then I saw the poser. And this was a guy that I already had. Uh, 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 some distrust for. And this was somebody who sought power in, uh, in the hierarchy of the church, in the former denomination of which I was a part. Now, this is an indictment on the, the whole church, but this is an indictment on somebody who misrepresented his position as though it were he and his team who did all that work. I was, I was so disgusted to see represented in ink a magazine that showed a lot of the things that this church and and that Signal Mountain Church had done through Ocean Springs Presbyterian Church that another organization was taking credit for, one person in particular, posing for the camera in front of things that other people had done. And, you know, I felt sorry for him. Because you know why? He missed out. He missed out on the burden, yes, but the joy and the abundance of getting in there and actually doing the work that he boasted about. And you say, Tim, this is recorded. This is going out on the Internet. Well, this is recorded too. You know, Jesus is talking about real people. He's talking about people that are right around him. He's saying, the, the people who came before me w- were thieves. They were dishonest. And his point was that they wanted the appearance of goodness, holiness, but they didn't want the abundance of it. They wanted the power of the temple or of the church, but they did not want the influence the transforming influence of the power of good in people's lives. Bonhoeffer said this, he said, the Christian life is not so much about carefully avoiding sin as it is about courageously pursuing the will of God. Isn't that beautiful? The Pharisees, in other words, the Pharisees, they're always going to be Pharisees, It can be Pharisees anywhere. We we can have Pharisees in any church, in any denomination, okay? I'm I'm somewhere between zero and 100% on overcoming my own Pharisaical nature, right? Aren't you? Yes, you are. And, And it's to settle for the outward appearance as opposed to the fulsome gift of goodness. To see it. For what it can do for us. See, that's, that's why Jesus refers to the outward appearance as a thief. Because it's, it's almost like you've, been, you've taken on part of what Jesus offers. And someone put it this way. It's like you've gotten a shot of, of, a, of a wimpy version of Christianity. And you've been inoculated against the real thing. The real thing is transforming power. And so when you think of being good, or you think of being holy, think of holiness as goodness on fire. So, so virtue, first of all, is an ability It's an ability to be passionate and not just dutiful about what is good and right and true. Second, it's the ability to embrace goodness as something more than, not less than. All right? Now, let me say that again. It's the ability, the commitment that we make, the long obedience in the same direction, that commitment that we make to obeying God, you know, it... it, it, aren't we afraid we're worried that it's going to be less than yes you are yes you are and so am i i'm i'm afraid that if i if i go uh, if i make a a a a ham a pig commitment a full commitment right a real commitment to god that that it's going to bring less than what i want it might make me not do things, or it might make me give up things that I think are going to bring me joy. And I think that, that, that love and joy and beauty and wisdom and service only come from my own sensibilities of what's good and right and true. And, and I'm afraid, like you, and, and I worry, just like you, I'm concerned that if I make a full commitment to obeying God and, and pursuing His will and, and His best, that it's going to be less than, aren't you? than more than. But a commitment, a long obedience in the same direction begins to show us that we can see the good, we can recognize in the good something that's more than and not less than. We fear missing out, but God's goodness expressed in and through our lives is more than. Now, I'm going to read to you what I hope will illustrate the more than of following the will of God. And it's, it's a little lengthy, and, it, and it's from C.S. Lewis, but it is one of the most um, concrete and shocking passages from any of C.S. Lewis's books from The Great Divorce. Now, the, the setting is this. Here's a man who wants to go, get into heaven. He's on the edge of heaven, and he's greeted by an angel there. And he's trying to bring with him, this is kind of weird, a lizard on his shoulder who's talking in his ear. And he's trying to convince him that life is somewhere else. And here's what happens. I saw coming towards us a ghost. Now, they call him a ghost because because there isn't the strength of virtue yet, the full strength of virtue of heaven, of the glory of heaven. And so, as we uh, walk towards the edge of heaven, we're going to appear like ghosts as compared to an angel or somebody who's been there for a while. You see what I'm saying? Virtue is something solid and strong. And that's C.S. Lewis's point here. He says, like all ghosts, he was unsubstantial, but, but they differed from one another as smokes differ. Some had been whitish. This one was dark and oily. What sat on his shoulder was a little red lizard, and it was twitching. Its tail like a whip and whispering things in his ear. As we caught sight of him, he turned his head to, to the reptile with a snarl of impatience. Shut up, I tell you, he said. He said it and wagged its tail and continued to whisper to him. He ceased snarling and presently began to smile. Then he turned and started to limp westward, away from the mountains, away from heaven. Off so soon, said a voice. The speaker was more or less human in shape but larger than a man and so bright that I could hardly look at him like the morning sun at the beginning of a ter- uh, tyrannous summer day. Yes, I'm off, said the ghost. Thanks for all your hospitality, but it's no good, you see. I, I, I told this little chap here, he indicated the litter, that he'd have to be quiet if he came, which he insisted on doing, but of course his stuff won't do here. I realize that. But he won't stop. I shall just have to go home. So he's saying, because the lizard won't be quiet, he's just going to have to leave heaven. Would you like me to make him quiet? said the flaming spirit, an angel, as I now understood. Of course I would, said the ghost. Then I will kill him, said the angel, taking a step forward. Oh, ah, ah, you're burning me. Keep away, said the ghost, retreating. Don't you want him to be killed? Well, you didn't say anything about killing him at first. I'm, I hardly meant to bother you with anything so drastic as that. It's the only way, said the angel, whose burning hands were now very close to the lizard. Shall I kill it? Well, that's a further question. I'm, I'm quite open to considering it. But it's, it's a new point, isn't it? I mean, for the moment, I was only thinking about silencing it because up here, well, it, it's so embarrassing. May I kill it? Well, there's time to discuss that later. There's no time. May I kill it? Please, I never meant to be such a nuisance. Please, really, don't bother. Look, it's, it's gone to sleep on its own accord. May I kill it? Well, I think that the gradual pot process would be far better than killing it. The gradual pot process is no good of all, said the angel. Don't you think so? Well, I think over what you said, I'll think it over carefully, okay? There's no other day. All days are present now. Get back. You're burning me. How can I, I tell you to kill it? You'd kill me if you did. It is not so, said the angel. Well, you're hurting me now. I never said it wouldn't hurt you. I said it wouldn't kill you. Oh, I know. You, you think I'm a coward, but it isn't that. It really isn't. I mean, I say, let me, uh, let me get an opinion from my own doctor. I'll come again uh, the first moment I can. This moment contains all moments. Why are you torturing me? The man said, you're jeering at me. If you you wanted to help me, why didn't you kill it without asking me before I knew? And then it would be over already. I cannot kill it against your will. It is impossible. Have I your permission? The angel's hands were almost closed around the lizard, but not quite. Then the lizard began to chatter to the ghosts. Couldn't hear what he was saying. Be careful. Be careful, it said. He could do what he says. He can kill me. One fatal word from you, and he will. You'll be without me forever and ever. It's not natural, that lizard said. How could you live? You'd be only a sort of ghost, not a real man. Yes, yes, I know there, there, there are no real pleasures now, only dreams, but aren't they better than nothing? The angel said, have I your permission to kill it? I know it will kill me. It won't. But supposing it did, you're right. It would be better to live dead than to live with this creature. Then may I? Blast you. Go on, can't you? Get it over with. Do what you like, bellowed the ghost, but ended, God help me. The next moment, now picture this. The next moment, the ghost gave a scream of agony such as I'd never heard on earth. The burning one closed his crimson grip on the reptile, twisted it, while... It bit and writhed and flung, broke, broken back on the turf. Ow! That's done for me, gasped the ghost, reeling backward. For a moment, I couldn't make out anything distinctly. Then I saw between me and the nearest bush, unmistakably solid but growing ever more solider, an upper arm, the shoulder of a man, then bright and still stronger, the legs and hands, the neck, And golden head materialized while I watched. An immense man, naked, not much smaller than an angel. What distracted me was the fact that at the same moment, something seemed to be happening to the lizard. At first, I thought the operation had failed. So far from dying, the creature was still struggling and even growing bigger as it struggled. And as it grew, it changed. Its hinder parts grew rounder. The tall, slick, Flickering became the tail of hair that flickered between huge, glossy buttocks. Suddenly, yes, I just said that. (laughs) Suddenly, I started back, rubbing my eyes. What stood before me was the greatest stallion I had ever seen. Silver white, but the mane and tail of gold. You see, the image that Lewis is using here of a lizard, this wimpy little ratty lizard turning into a stallion, and a ghost turning into a man is a picture of virtue. It's a picture of somebody who begins to have confidence in God's will and God's best, and instead of growing smaller, you grow greater and more able for the things that do bring abundance in your life, abundant life. Ah, we think. We think we know what that looks like. You see, what's happening here is in chapter 9 of of John, Jesus has healed a man on the Sabbath, and the Pharisees have said, I can't believe he did that. And Jesus is saying, you're missing the point of the law. The point is that the Sabbath is for man, not the man for the Sabbath. That the goodness of God, that the obedience of God, that the law of God, that that all of of the things that, that we associate with our faith are for our benefit that we may become more than we are, not less than. You know, yesterday uh, I performed a wedding and it never ceases to amaze me how how incredibly elegant those settings are. Wrinkle-free they are standing up there. They're beautiful people. You know? And I think back just across the a couple decades I've been married, and all of the wrinkles we've had to iron out <laughs> since then. And I think you're going to have your own wrinkles. But the ways, the ways that, that we stand up there and, and we profess to each other the virtue of a vow that we are no more capable of fulfilling than this guy was capable of killing that lizard. And yet there we do. We, stay, we say it before God and all these witnesses. I will love and honor and cherish you. And then the next moment, we don't do it. Because we're incapable of living the abundant life the way that God wants for us, not from us. And yet... He's given us his word. He's given us his spirit. He's given us the church. He's given us clarity of commitments that when we make that long obedience trek in the same direction, increasingly we become more able to fulfill. It's a little like this picture, uh, I think, of a of a couple standing up there and that everything fits just perfectly, right? But what I picture is, is, is. Her, her arm, uh, her, the sleeves are drooping down way beyond her hands. He is standing in shoes that are way too big for him. And I imagine that if they make the commitment, they will grow into those shoes. They will grow into those sleeves. That's a picture of the abundant life. John 10.10. 10. Jesus said, I came that they may have life. Jesus, the good shepherd, echoing this beautiful passage. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures, He leads me beside still waters. He restores. He restores my soul. Let's pray together. Gracious God, our Heavenly Father, how we thank you that even when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with us. You prepare a table in the presence of our very enemies, you anoint our heads with oil. Our cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow us all the days of our lives, and we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen.